Well, we've just been kind of having too much fun here. I think I should be the downer, and I'm going to read some uh, verses of Scripture that are kind of depressing. Is that okay with you? Yeah, you don't want to have too much fun in church. Come on, we have to get a little sedate here. Actually, these verses are sobering for sure, but I read them on purpose because we can't fully appreciate the significance and importance of the resurrection until we appreciate the emptiness of life without the resurrection. And so I'm going to read the perspective the Bible gives us profound perspective the Bible gives us on what life without the resurrection is like. It says this in Genesis chapter 3, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. In other words, your life's going to be full of work, full of sweat, and then you die. For out of it you were taken. You are dust. Everybody say, I am dust. dust. You are dust. That's true. You are dust And to dust you shall return. It's just a matter of time. Ecclesiastes 1. I have seen all things that are done under the sun. I've seen it all, the author says. All of them are meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Love that metaphor. Running after the wind. Trying to catch it. Can't do it. It's all just futile activity. That's what life is about. Ecclesiastes 2. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve... Perhaps the empires I'd built, the things that I thought were so important, everything, he says, was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Verse 15, Then I thought in my heart, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. We both die. What then do I gain by being wise? And I said in my heart, this too is meaningless. Verse 17, so I hated life. This guy was having a very bad day. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. Sweat of my brow and then I'm dust. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Peter agrees, the apostle Peter, when he says, all flesh is like grass and all is glory like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flower falls. It has a little season of life and then it comes to nothing. And then, not quite as inspired as the Bible, but still insightful, is the atheist author, Jean-Paul Sartre. I uh, read his book, Being in Nothingness, as a senior in high school, and I think I understood about four sentences in the whole thing, but this was one of them. It stuck with me. He says, a finite point without an infinite reference point is essentially meaningless. Nothingness then something, then nothingness. That's a finite point. It begins and it ends. And every finite point, unless it has some reference, some relationship to something that isn't finite, it's just meaningless. It doesn't make any difference whether it is or isn't. It's just absurd. I want to talk about the dust story, about our finite existence. Actually, I, I'm going to get a little help with this today. Now, this will be a little shocking to some of you at first, but I'm going to bring out a bag of dust. This is a bag of dust. Dust you are, to dust you shall return. And actually, this isn't just an ordinary bag of dust, although, really, it is just an ordinary bag of dust. But this is the remains of my father. My father died in December. Okay, just take a deep breath. My father died in December. Hey, we're all dust. We're all dust. Let's just deal with it. I know that, you know, we we try to hide this reality from ourselves. We do a whole lot to run away from it. You know, we, we, uh, we... Uh, Just try to stay it off, keep it out of our mind. Decent people don't talk about death in public. You know, that's kind of the idea. They certainly don't bring out their dad in public after he's been turned to dust. But we got to deal with this reality. We are dust. Dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Look at that and know that that is you. I once read a um, 
a, a saying from the, from the Middle Ages that came right after the bubonic plague, and it had a skeleton, and it said, As I am, so you shall be, as you are, I once was. Sobering. As dad is, so you shall be, as you are, he once was. Full of passion, full of dreams, striving for everything, but here he is. It all fits in a five-pound bag. And uh, we've had him uh, around the house for, for a couple months now. He, he, we had a service in January, and we'll be sprinkling him according to his wishes and his will over the St. Croix uh, this, this summer. But in the meantime, he's, he's been, you know, just around the house. And I appreciate him being around the house. Uh, it, it, uh, those people who say that it's hard to have your parents move back with you don't know what they're talking about. It's been... It, But you see, looking at that, it's a, it's a constant reminder of what I am. You suck the water out of me, and there I am right there. The only difference between me and Dad right now is I got liquid going through me. You know, and I'm a little bit more complex, I suppose. You know, uh, my structure's a little more organized. But, but uh, I'm, I'm heading in that direction. Every new little piece of sculpt I see is one more reminder that I'm heading in that direction. Every new ache and pain you get, all those things you used to do but can't do anymore, it's just a reminder that you're heading towards dust. Sorry to be such a downer here, folks, but this is reality. You're heading there too. It's all dust. It's all dust. If I had a gun, a laser gun, that, a laser time gun, <laughs> that where I, I could point it at something and shoot it, and then it would fast forward to, to, to the end of its life. Okay, 100 years, 1,000 years, 10,000 years, whatever. Zap it. I zap my dad, and that's what he looks like. I zap me, and that's what I look like. I zap you, and that's what you look like. I zap, I zap the podium. That's what the podium looks like. I zap this building. That's what the building looks like. Zap the youth center. That's what the youth center looks like. Zap the city of St. Paul. That's what the city of St. Paul looks like. Everything you can see and everything you touch, everything you can taste, everything you experience, it's just when all is said and done, when the water's finally sucked out of it, it's just dust. It's just dust. Let it sink in. Sort of almost amusing at times to hear some of the boasts of great people throughout history where they thought what they did was eternal. I, I, I saw a documentary this last week. I love watching the History Channel and had a history of the Great Wall of China. And there's one emperor whose name I don't remember. Uh, he, when he built that, he, he, put, uh, you know, he announced it. This, this, uh, this, this, this Great Wall of China, and it's a, it's a pretty impressive feat, I have to say. But this wall of China will be an eternal memorial uh, to my greatness as an emperor. And I can't remember his name, and I just saw it three days ago. It was like everyone will, from all, all generations throughout time, will acknowledge my greatness because of this great wall of China. How many people here know what emperor that was? Maybe two, maybe three. Uh, and the, 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 the most interesting thing is that the wall's falling apart. It's turning to dust. It's been there for about a thousand years, and it's turning to dust. In another thousand years, it will be a little bump on a hill. Oh, great emperor, whoever you were. Uh, apparently it's not that eternal. I, I do a lot of studying in the background of the Old Testament. I read the annals of the great kings of Mes the Mesopotamian, Mes Mesopotamian culture. Mesopo Mesopotamian culture. And uh, they always say things like this. I'm erecting this statue in honor of me. And uh, all people for all time will know that I am king, yada, yada, yada. And will acknowledge my greatness. And they put up these statues and they make these conquests and the whatever... And it's all dust in the wind. You go there now and there's nothingness. All the pyramids are still standing, but before long, there'll be dust. It's all dust. It's all dust. We try to hide it. We don't want to look at that. Decent people don't talk about that. There's a sort of gravitational dust pull that uh, tries to get us to live for the dust here and now. And, and uh, we don't want to acknowledge that. We, we want to pretend like it's more important than just dust. 
We tried to hide the wrinkles so much, and that's fine, but some people get obsessed with it. Tried to, you know, block it from our eyes. Try to pretend like, 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 like this is solid. America's going to last forever. The earth is going to last forever. Something's going to last forever. This is important. When in fact, really, it's all just dust. One of the reasons why the, world, the collapsing of the World Trade Center was such a shock, it's kind of like what this was. You're seeing dust before your eyes, and we don't like to see that. We thought those things were pretty permanent. You know, America, a symbol of our financial strength. There they are, these two big buildings. Man, they're impressive. And within a span of an hour after getting hit, they fall to the ground. Now, if I had my laser gun and shot them, that's what they would have looked like in 100 or 1,000 years anyways. But what freaked us out was that it happened so quick, right before our eyes. And we realized that, in fact, there's nothing that's permanent. It's all just dust. And everything related to it is chasing the dust. The band Kansas. Some of you old fogies remember that band. You know what song I'm talking about too. Close my eyes, but only for a moment, and the moment's gone. And all we see crumbles to the ground, but we refuse to see. Dust in the wind, all we are is dust in the wind. Same old song, we're just a drop of water in an endless sea. All we do, something or other of mere curiosity. Dust in the wind. Some of those bands had some really true lyrics. Pink Floyd. You know, wasting away the hours that make up a dog's day. You fritter and waste the hours, the hours in an offhand way. The sun is the same in a usual way, but you're older, shorter of breath, and one day closer to death. Remember that, that album? I said that one time in a class in theology, and there's this kid there who was kind of a Poindexter Bible boy, and he always trying to impress the professor with what he knew. And I gave that quote, you know, fritter and waste the hours in an offhand way. The sun is the same in the usual way, but you're older, shorter breath, and one day closer to death. And all the kids were getting irritated by this kid because of his brown nosiness. But he raises his hand and goes, Ecclesiastes? <laughs> and I said, no, Pink Floyd. <laughs> and all the kids were like, yes, yes. <laughs> Pink Floyd, but it's true. And so the question I want to ask this morning is this. Is this the whole story? Is this the story of my dad's life? All the ambitions. He wanted to be rich. He wanted a bigger house. He, to, he had so many dreams. He wanted to be a doctor at one point in his life. He wanted to make a difference politically. He was always this left, 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 super left-wing libertarian, you know, and, and just was, he wanted to make a difference. Is all that, does it come to this? All of his experiences, the high points, the low points, is this the whole story? Because if this is the whole story, folks, life is, is, is the pits. You know, it, it, it's the pits and then you die, as the bumper sticker sort of says. Uh, it's, uh, it really is so empty. If dust is it, if dust is the whole story, then it is just an idle curiosity. Life is, as Shakespeare said, a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury, but signifying absolutely nothing. If dust is the whole story, then there's no point to anything. There's no meaning to anything. There's no purpose to anything. There's no reason to anything. It's just absurd. It's just painful. It's just point, pointless. And then you die. And when you live that through consistently, something inside of you bottoms out. When you, when you, when you grasp that, it bottoms out. I remember as a freshman in, in college, I, I went, I went uh, to the U of M. I had a new faith, but it was very uninformed and not very grounded. And I got blown away majoring in philosophy and my head got so screwed up. And so I ended up going back to my atheism that I was before I was a Christian, thinking this is just the way life is. But this time it hurt. I was a little more awake. I was a little more thoughtful and it hurt. I, you know, it, it's really hard to get out of bed in the morning when you realize that there's no point to anything. 
you know, trying to make a name for yourself or trying to think a true thought or, you know, whatever your aspirations are, to know that ultimately it all ends up dust. That really just guts you. It, it, it leaves you with a vacuum on the inside. And I was in pain. But there was a part of me that wondered, how can this be the whole story? If this is the whole story, why is it so painful to believe? Usually we are in pain when something is wrong. Pain is a, a flag. No, no, something's not right. You see? Well, what's not right with this if this is what's true? Why is this so hard to believe and live in if this is the truth? Another way of asking the same question is to ask this. How could dust nature, just chemicals in motion, time and chance, how could it have evolved beings like us that are so discontented with it? We're at odds with nature if this is all nature is. We've got a brain, but there's no brain in nature. We long for meaning, but there's no meaning in nature. We want to have a purpose, but there's no purpose in nature. We, we, we us all assume that morality is a good thing and we should try to overcome evil with good and all that. The universe, if, if all there is is dust, it doesn't care whether you're good, whether you're evil, whether you're an Adolf Hitler or a Mother Teresa. What difference does it make? That's why the author of Ecclesiastes says, whether you're wise or whether you're a fool, you have the same, same fate. What's the difference whether you're wise? All the stuff about how you should strive for this, be a better person, whatever. It doesn't mean a thing. Now we try to hide that from ourselves by saying, well, you made a difference to your kids. And, and, and their life is better. You leave the world a little bit better. And that's the point of it all. What point is that? They die too. They're just dust. Well, they'll impact their kids. You know, dust. Well, and their kids will be blessed. Well, no, it's all dust. It's dust all the way down, all the way back, all the way future. What difference does it make? And when all is said and done, this, the, the, earth, the sun, they say, is going to turn into like a supernova and suck all the planets into it and then turn into a giant black hole. The same will happen for every sun, so ultimately there'll be blank nothingness. Whoopee! We're all going to die. What's the point of anything? You see, it's just... How could nature evolve beings who long for something that nature can't give? You look around the rest of nature and there's nothing like that. You know, you, you, you know, animals and people long for air and there's air. You long for food and there's food. You long for water and there's water. Nature always produces beings that have needs that it can fulfill. Well, what about the need for meaning, the need for purpose, the need for a reason, the need for morality? There's no answer to that in nature. Doesn't that itself tell you that there's something wrong with that idea that this is the whole story? There's something incomplete about it. One of the reasons why I think I just depressed that little kid too much is like, oh, I don't want to believe all this. <laughs> Life is really the pits. <laughs> See, one of the reasons why I think the Bible, the scriptural portrayal of the human predicament is so plausible to so many people is because it answers that question, the question of uh, why is it so painful to believe this? Jean-Paul Sartre at one point said, being an atheist is the most difficult thing a human being can ever endeavor to, to, to be consistently. I've tried to be consistent with it to the bitter end. And what I'm wondering is, if that's true, why would it be, make you so miserable to live it? What is it? There's something unnatural there. The Bible answers this. The Bible tells us that the reason why the dust story, if you will, the reason why the dust story feels incomplete is because, as a matter of fact, it is incomplete. And the reason why the dust story feels unnatural to us is because it is unnatural. According to the Bible, the reason why we have this dust existence and, and are so discontented with it, the reason why we uh, come out from the ground and go back into the ground, and the reason why we spend so much of our life just chasing the wind 
is because we have alienated ourselves from our creator, the source of our life. We've, we've separated ourselves by our rebellion, by our sin, individually and collectively. We've separated ourselves from the source, from God. And he is the source of all that is good, all that is joyful, all that makes life worth living. He's purposeful and, and meaningful and all the rest. But we've separated ourselves from that. There's a wall between us and him because of our sin. And so we experience life at least to a large degree as a godless thing. And it, you, you suck God out of the picture and what you get is that. But you see, we weren't created to live in this way. We weren't created to be meaningless and we weren't created to be just dust. We were created for greatness. We were created for meaning. We were created for purpose. Things were supposed to make sense. And the pain that we experience over the idea that this is the whole story is the echo of that greatness. We're fallen kings who have a haunting memory of what we were created for, but we can't see it. What we can see is this, and it bothers us profoundly. The Bible story makes sense out of that, but then tells us this. And now we're getting sort of the rest of the story. This is a, a Paul Harvey sermon, all right? And now for the rest of the story, or however he says that in his weird way, here's the rest of the story. God didn't leave us in this pathetic state, praise God. He didn't abandon us to our sin. He didn't abandon us to our bondage to Satan. He didn't, he didn't leave us in that. In fact, out of his profound love, his un, unconditional, unwavering love, he's pursued humanity throughout history. That in, in a roundabout way is what the Bible's all about. But the whole thing culminates and the first chapter of the rest of the story is written when God himself, the creator himself, takes on our dust nature, if you will, our human fallen nature. Not only does he take on our dust nature, he takes on all the reasons why it's dust. He absorbs within himself, the Bible says, when he goes to the cross of Calvary, he, he takes upon himself our sin. He takes upon himself the punishment for that sin. He takes upon himself our alienation. He takes upon himself the meaninglessness of our life. He takes upon himself all the evil that we've ever done and ever shall do. And in doing that, the Bible tells us, he breaks down the wall that separated us from God, tears down every obstacle there existed between us and God, eradicates sin as the issue that separates us from God, and frees us from the power of Satan. And what the resurrection is about, here's, here's why it's so central, is it is God's testimony to, to the truth that, in fact, the dust story is now moving on to the rest of the story, praise God. Uh, it tells us that the, the, the dust story is not the whole thing. It's a testimony to God's victory over sin, God's victory over death, God's victory over the grave, God's victory over Satan, praise God. It's a testimony to the reality that God wins and Satan loses and whoever believes in him will not ever perish, but will have everlasting life. That's the meaning of the resurrection. Amen. Amen. What the resurrection means, what the resurrection means, here's the, here's the meaning of the whole thing, is that the dust story is not the whole story. You know, the dust story, what we're living right now, is, is, is simply the short little prelude to the real play. It's a short little preface to a very long book. In fact, a book that will never end. It's a short little preview to a movie that will never end. What the resurrection shows us is that this entire little span of life that we have now is simply the prelude gestation period, if you will, as we're being prepared to be born into the real world. And for all who have the umbilical cord of Jesus Christ, if I can stretch this analogy too far... You'll be born in the kingdom of God and there you shall live forever. What, what, what the resurrection means is that the hunger of our heart will be filled as we feast upon the life of God and the thirst of that soul 
that thirst for, for, for love, uh, we, we will, we will, it will not, it, it doesn't have the last word. The thirst will be requited, it will be satisfied in the kingdom of God as we drink of the, the, the endless well of water of the love of Jesus Christ. What the resurrection means here is, is, is that dust doesn't have the final word. That's not the final word. In fact, the final word is glory. Paul says that we shall trade in our mortal bodies, these corruptible bodies, for an immortal body. And it says in 1 John that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We shall be like him. I don't know exactly what, 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 uh, what he looked like, but he could walk through walls. That was pretty cool. He, he radiated with the glory of God. I know this. It's a body that's not going to have the defects that this one's increasingly having as it's heading towards that dust, dust mode, and that's good news to me. We shall, we shall see him as he is, for we shall be like him. The final word is not death. The final word is life. It's life in God. It's eternal life. It's the life that God meant us to have. It's a life that is full. It's a life that is free. Death does not have the last word. you got look at the rest of the story. And, and this morning, it may be that some of us here are, are, are kind of suffering from the dust-like nature of things. And my encouragement to you would be this. Remember the meaning of the resurrection and look at the rest of the story. Maybe the dustiness of this world is causing you a lot of tears right now as maybe loved ones have forsaken you and let you down or you've just received some terrible news. But you've got to know that the resurrection means this. That's not the whole story. That's just a prelude to the real story. Keep your eyes on the rest of the story. Those tears don't have the last word. The last word is God's word, and his word is joy. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Joy as we reign with Jesus Christ throughout eternity. And maybe that you're here this morning and you can't really enter into the celebration thing because you're, there's been so many disappointments in your life. Maybe things have not at all turned out the way that you wanted them to turn out. You know, the love that you wanted didn't, didn't come through and the companionship you wanted fell flat and the, the way you wanted to raise your kids hasn't turned out just right and the marriage that you were involved in didn't uh, turn out and life's been one big disappointment. You don't have the job that you don't like. You don't have the lifestyle that you like, but I got a word for you. However long that may go on and this dusty world can really be the pits right now, I'll I'll admit that. But it's not the whole story. It's not the final word. God has the final word. And his word is that there is no ultimate eternal disappointments. When you get to heaven, you're not going to be disappointed. Oh, no, no, no. Every dream in your heart is going to be satisfied. That's what the dream is there for, praise God. As you reign with him throughout eternity, the dream will be fulfilled. Tears aren't the last word. Disappointment isn't the last word. Sin isn't the last word. Maybe you're here this morning and here's how you're experiencing this dusty world. You got that nagging addiction you can't shake or that compulsive thought that you can't get rid of or this behavior that you can't get out of and and whatnot and you want to live for God but you're finding it very, very hard to do that. Well, you need the resurrection power in your life right here and right now. But my word to you this morning is this, that that that, that sin struggle isn't going to have the last word. No, not, not if you hang on to Jesus Christ. What has the last word is victory. What has the last word is righteousness. And it won't be long before you're robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And sin just ain't an issue for you anymore. You've been freed from that, praise God. The bondage has been broken, and now you're manifesting it perfectly in the kingdom of God that never, never ends. It may be that the way you're experiencing the dust world here this morning is that you're feeling overwhelmed by evil. As you look at the war in Iraq and all the other things that go on in this world, and maybe individual things in your life. Sometimes in this dust world, this chasing after the wind existence that we're in, it does feel like evil's got the upper hand, doesn't it? But you got to know that evil doesn't have the last word. Uh, it doesn't have the last word. 
Sometimes it has a prelude word right now, but it doesn't have the last word. The last word is about God's goodness. The last word is about God's victory. The last word is that he shall reign forever and ever. We sang about it here this morning. Uh, In the end, God gets the last laugh, and once he starts laughing, it never stops. It goes on from then on throughout eternity. In the end, all that opposes God. Here's the rest of the story. You got to keep, you got to live life with your eyes on the rest of the story. Know the rest of the story. This is just a beginning of the story. It's, 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 a, it's hardly even the beginning of the story. It's the little prelude to the story. But the rest of the story is that God will reign supreme. And to say God reigns supreme means that his love reigns supreme. And his joy will reign supreme. And his peace will reign supreme. I mean, the resurrection means that God wins and the devil loses. And everything associated with God reigns and everything associated with the devil is done away with. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. If that ain't good news to you, there ain't any good news. That, that, that's, you know, when, when, then creation will be as God created the creation to be. Now it's going to reflect his will on earth as it is in heaven. And when that is done, all, all the aspects of this dust, short, transitory, and often painful existence will be done away with. There won't be any more tears. Won't be any more sickness. We're not going to read about another one more kidnapped kids. I'm not going to read about one more rape. We're not going to read about one more war. We're not going to read about any more diseases. We're not going to hear about any more losses, any more separation of loved ones. Praise God. We'll be communion with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all the saints and all the angels. You're never going to be alone again. Praise God. None, none of the heartaches are going to be there. Praise God. He'll wipe away every tear from our eye, and death and sorrow shall cease. And then life will be as God always wanted it to be. And the longings, the hunger, the thirst in our heart for the meaning, for the purpose, for all of that will be fulfilled. In fact, it'll be more than fulfilled. The Bible says that eyes never seen and the ears never heard and it's never entered into the heart of a man the things which God has in store for those who love him. However good I just said it, it's better than that. It's infinitely better than that. And maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, well, that just sounds like more of this churchy, churchy, pie in the sky when you die by and by kind of stuff. More fairy tales, you can't handle life. Truth, you can't handle the truth. You know, so you got to come up with this little story about how you're going to live happily ever after. Well, you know, you think it's too good to be true. But I submit to you this. The alternative that you're offering is too miserable to be true. And the fact that if you're honest, you'll be miserable shows you that it's not true. Because if it was true, you'd be perfectly okay with it, just like the rest of the animal kingdom is okay with nature. The fact that you're miserable is the best refutation that it's not the truth. And I submit to you that the gospel message is too true and too beautiful, or too beautiful and too good not to be true. And the fact that it feels to you like it's too good to be true is just an indication that you're beginning to get a glimpse of how good it is. Because when we're talking about God, you can't possibly get your brain around this one. It's better than anything you can get your, your brain around. Think the best thought, the greatest dream, the most loving, adorable thing you can ever imagine, the most joy-filled thing you can ever think of, and now multiply it a gazillion, and you're starting to get close. Eyes never seen, ears never heard, never has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has in store for those who love him. Your heart knows on some level if you will allow it that there's got to be a resurrection or life is just utterly absurd. Reason is absurd. It's all absurd. 
On top of that, if I had time, I'd tell you about all the historical evidence for the fact that it happened. You explain to me how the disciples were willing to go out there and lay down their life saying that they saw Jesus Christ rise from the dead. They fellowshiped with him for 40 days. They're willing to die for it, watch their kids die for it. You think that they, they do that for some legend or for some lie? I think it's pretty preposterous. All the historical evidence suggests that, in fact, Jesus rose from the dead. But on top of what your head can say, your heart knows there's got to be a resurrection. Life's got to be, this can't be the whole story. I'll tell you this, I am more convinced today, I'm as convinced that this is not the whole story of my father, and it's not the whole story of me, and it's not the whole story of you. I'm as convinced of that as I am that I'm talking to you, right here. I, 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 the idea that that is it is so preposterous to me, it borders on being silly. And when, when you get that convinced of it, you know what? It changes everything. It just, uh, you completely lose your fear of death. We only fear death because we think that that's the final story. If you were absolutely convinced, as convinced as you are that you're listening to me right now, if you're convinced that that is not the final story and you felt right with God, there'd be no fear of death whatsoever. In fact, a party would look forward to it because you'd see that it's a promotion. This, I love life. I love it. I live it to the fullest. I celebrate it. But man, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hard. The war zone gets long and weary sometimes, but it won't always be that way. That's not the last word. The last word is the, the dance. God gets the last dance and we dance with him throughout eternity. Amen. Amen. Let me close with, let me close, or at least start to close with, with a challenge here, all right? If this is true, and it is, it's got to affect our life, not just affect our life. It's got to revolutionize our life. This reframes everything. Here's a reframe that Jesus gave us. He said this in Matthew chapter 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. Don't put your eggs in a basket, to use a good Easter analogy, uh, that's going to sink. But rather, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Having heard this message, let me ask you this question. Where is your heart? Is your heart in the dust story or is it in the rest of the story? Are you living the dust story or are you living with a view towards the rest of the story? We... Think about this. How does a wise person live if this is what, in fact, you believe? Where do you invest your energy, your thought? What is the purpose for your existence? The dust story is so short, the rest of the story is forever. I remember as a little Catholic boy sitting in catechism class, and uh, the, the priest was talking about how hell is forever. I remembered this message. And uh, someone asked, well, how long is forever? And the priest gave us this analogy, and it was powerful. And my point here isn't about hell, it's about heaven, but it's the same point. He said, imagine a solid steel ball the size of the earth. And he told us how big the earth was and got into that. A solid steel ball. And every thousand years, a hummingbird would come by and flick it ever so slightly. Every thousand years, once a thousand years. He says, by the time that steel ball was worn down to the size of a pinhead, that'd be one second in eternity. And we're all going like... We shouldn't have smoked those cigarettes on the way here tonight. <laughs> Wednesday night catechism class, that's when we all got the cigs out, you know. <laughs> I'm saying, it's probably where the priest told the thing, he could smell it. He's like, ah, oh, we haven't been very good boys, have we? Well, you see, that eternity is a long time. How are you going to live? 
See, it's not just about what you believe. It's about how are you going to live? What's, what, what's the direction? Where is your heart? Where is your treasure? Where are you storing up your treasure? The wise person looks at the whole story, not just the first part of the story. Here's another analogy. Let's suppose that we all live forever. Just assume that for a little bit. We live right here on earth. And let's suppose the year is 1900 and you've got $1 to your name. This is all you have. Now you have, one of, you have a choice to make. You can spend that $1 buying a six-pack of Pepsi or you can invest that $1 in Pepsi stock. Now, I found out last week that if you were to put a dollar in Pepsi stock, it'd be worth $23 million right now. This is the only dollar you got, and you know you're living forever, and let's just say that there was a preacher there who told you what the stock would be in 2003. How are you going to invest that dollar? You see, that's the kind of thing we're talking about. That's what Jesus is getting at. The dust story is such a short story. The rest of the story is so long. My word here for us this morning is invest in the kingdom of God. That is to say, live for the kingdom of God. Store up for yourself treasures in the kingdom of God because knowing the resurrection, you know that that's what's going to go on forever. Now, how do you do that? Two things. Number one, invest in your relationship in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ isn't interested in a mere theoretical belief that he exists any more than my wife would be satisfied with me knowing that she exists. What he wants is a relationship. And just like with a marriage relationship, if you don't invest in it, it's, it's going to cease to exist. So also with, with our relationship with Christ. The one thing that lasts forever is this relationship with Jesus Christ. Invest in it. Make him the center of your life. Don't do the kind of uh, uh, status quo, mediocre, mediocre religious thing where you put Jesus Christ on a shelf uh, except for a couple of times a year. You make him a footnote to everything else. But your heart really is in the dust. You spend all your time really in the dust. You spend all your energy in the dust. But what you money think about is the dust where you put your money is all in the dust oh yes and you have Jesus as a little footnote in your life that's not a relationship with Jesus Christ what he wants is your heart what he wants is your being he's in love with you he doesn't want you to think about him once in a while he wants a relationship with you every day of your life he wants that relationship give him your all he's the Lord of all invest all in him he's the savior of all who will believe invest your all in him he's the word of life he's the rock you can stand on he's the pearl of great price he died for you and what he's asking you to do is live for him invest you're all in him. Go all the way with this thing. Don't hold back. Sell out. It's the only thing that's meaningful. You're a finite point. I'm a finite point, but there's an infinite reference point. And he's saying, relate to me. Invest in me. Let's build a relationship together. Make him the central point of your life. He's the one thing that's meaningful. Number two, commit your life to living for him. That's part of the relationship. It means you're not just going to live your own life. You're going to live life with a view towards him. What it ultimately means is living, committing to live a life of radical love, of radical Christ-like love, of sacrificial love. Because when all is said and done, that's what the kingdom of God is all about. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, the one thing that lasts forever is love. Prophecies and tongues, as good as they are, therefore this dust existence, this dust story, they'll get us by till then, but they'll be done away with. Paul even says that faith, as important as that is, and hope, as important as that is, it's temporary. The one thing that's eternal, verse 8, is love. Build a foundation, which is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then on that, 
Let it permeate your existence to the point where you let his character and his will flow through you. And now your life takes on meaning. The irony is this, folks. This isn't a life-negating message. Like, like this life is unimportant, can't wait for heaven to happen. This is the most life-affirming message that could be. Because when you wake up to the dust nature of things, the meaningless nature of things, now you're free to enjoy them in a proper way. I can look at my house and and I I can enjoy it because I know it's dust. I look at my car, I can enjoy it because I know it's dust. There's no meaning in the thing. I look at these nice mafia kind of threads I've got on right now. And, you know, but it's just dust. I'm not going to cling to it. Most of the miserable things in our life, think about it now, most of the miserable things in our life come because we're trying to grab on a dust. And they flow through our hands and it makes us depressed and it makes us anxious and we know on some level that we're going to lose it. Let it go. Just let it go. And now it doesn't own you. You're free. And now you can really enjoy it. There's nothing wrong with enjoying it. Just know that it's dust. It doesn't have a hold on you. Now you are free. It's easy come, easy go. You come into the world, you go out of the world. Life is just a vapor. You know, dance while you're here, but you're going to be dust before too long. Let it go. Don't try to cling to it. The house is easy come, easy go. Your looks are easy come, easy go. Your abilities are easy come, easy go. The whole thing is easy come, easy go. Go easy with it. And now you can enjoy it. But the other thing is that when you commit your life to Christ and, and you commit to living for him, you know what? Now this becomes meaningful. Dust becomes infinitely meaningful when you live it, when you use it as the occasion to invest in what is eternal. In other words, when you use it to love. It's all meaningless except insofar as we use it to love. The dollar I got in my pocket turns into that. Unless I, in love, give it away. And now you know what? It becomes part of the treasure in heaven that I'll be reaping throughout eternity. In a sense, we will all be cremated. Now, I don't know what your preferred more of a form of post-mortem existence is, <laughs> but, uh, but we're all, in, in one sense, we're going to be cremated. Paul says this, and I, I do close with this. He says this, 1 Corinthians 3. The work of each builder, that's what we are, will become visible on that day, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed with fire. I don't know if it's literal fire, metaphorical. I think it's metaphorical, but you get the point. And the fire will test what sort of work each has done. We're going to go through a fire. If what has been built on the foundation, the foundation is Jesus Christ, that relationship. The foundation's going to get through, okay? That's the relationship. But if, if what's built on that foundation, in other words, love, survives, the builder will receive a reward, but if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, the builder will be saved, but only as through fire. That was an expression that kind of meant by the skin of your teeth. It's like when you, when you run out of a house and, and you're saved, but everything else gets burned up. There's a refining process that we're, that we're going to go through. And the only thing that will get through that process is, number one, our relationship with Jesus Christ, and number two, everything that flowed out of that relationship of, with Jesus Christ. That is to say, our love. That's what the resurrected life's all about. This isn't the whole story of my father. The rest of the story is this. He had a relationship with Jesus Christ, entered into it at the age of 73, and I thank God for that. Uh, gave his heart to the Lord. That's an eternal thing. It goes on forever and ever and ever. Amen. And as he's related to the Redeemer, the Redeemer redeems everything that's redeemable in his life. And now every act of love he ever did, every self-sacrificial thing, everything he did outside of himself, to whatever degree he lost his life, to that degree he found his life, and that never ends. That's what goes through the fire. So the question I want us to ask is this, given the resurrection, what about you is more than this? What about, it's a simple equation. When, When you are this, what will be left of you? Do you have that relationship with Jesus Christ? And are you committed to building on it with acts of love? Loving all people at all times in every way, shape, and form. Being used to build the kingdom of God. Would you shut your eyes? And if you're a believer, start praying. And if you're not yet a believer, start listening. 
I want to ask you this question. Is there anybody here this morning that's never laid that foundation? Never laid that foundation. The foundation is laid when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and surrender your life to him. You're dust, except insofar as you've done that. And I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. If you're here this morning and want to commit your life to Christ, this is how we all come. It takes being bold, but I'm going to ask you to do it. Would you just stand up where you are? Stand up, and I'm going to pray for you from up here. We're all going to pray with you. You know who you are. The Holy Spirit's talking to you. Anybody here want to surrender their life to Jesus Christ? Just stand up and stay standing right where you are. Had about five or six people first service, eight last night. Anybody here at all? You say, you know what? I know I need Jesus Christ. I don't want my life to be a meaningless chasing after the wind. Would you just stand up? Holy Spirit, be moving. I'll give it, I'll give it 30 more seconds. Anybody here at all? You need Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You want to surrender your life to him. He made it so easy. Back there, praise God. Thank you, sister. And thank you, brother. Anybody else? Just stand up right where you are. All the angels in heaven rejoice when one person does this. This is the purpose of life. Your life can be meaningful. Again, in the back. Thank you. Over there, sister, I see you. Wonderful. Who else wants to join these? Just stand up. Just stand up right where you are. And we'll just, we're just going to pray a prayer with you. There's no shame in this. This is the most dignified thing you can ever do is to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He died for you. He rose from you. All that's left to do is for you to say yes and surrender your life to him. Anybody else? Just stand up where you are. Holy Spirit, be moving. I'll give it 10 more seconds. You want to surrender your life to him. Praise God. We've got some people in the back standing up. I want to lead you. Maybe there's some out in the gathering area that I can't see. I want to lead you into prayer. We're going to pray with you here. Brother on the side, I see you. Wonderful. Just join us in this prayer and pray it from the depths of your heart. And when we're done, as we're dismissed, those who are standing, I want to encourage you to come up here to my right because the devil hates what you're about to do here. You are not making friends with him. And you need to have people around you that can help you walk with this. And so we have a little bit of information we want to give you if you would just take a minute after the service and see this person over here. It will really help you. But right now, let's pray this prayer. Uh, Saints of God, let's join with him. Pray from the depths of your heart. Heavenly Father, I acknowledge that you created me for fellowship with you. But I confess that I have not lived for you. I am a sinner in need of your grace. But I believe that you sent Jesus to die on my behalf. And so I ask you, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me. Wash me. Reconcile me to the Father. Heal me and help me live for you the rest of my life. Thank you, Lord, for loving me as I am. In Jesus' name, amen. What a great Easter present back to God. Thank you. you go- Welcome to the kingdom of God. Wonderful. That is so beautiful. That is so great. That is what it's about. Woo! Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 As we go out of here, I want to encourage us and I want to ask the Holy Spirit to remind us that we are all dust, except insofar as we're rooted and grounded in the love of Jesus Christ. Let his life flow in you. Let his life flow through you. Make him the center and the purpose of your existence. And love every single person you come in contact with. Uh, Whatever the conditions, whatever the obstacles, 
Whatever other circumstances, no ifs, ands, and buts, let his love shine through you to them. God bless you guys. Have a happy Easter.